wanted something bad. Uh, what was her name? What was her name? Okay, Emily? Her name was Hannah. That's right. And what did she want? What was it that she really, really wanted? Allie? She wanted to have a baby. Okay, so she couldn't have a baby, and she really, really wanted a baby. And so where did she go when she wanted to have a baby? Did she go to the hospital? No, where did she go? Where did she go? Exactly. She went and prayed at the temple. And she prayed that the Lord would give her a baby. And who was the priest at the temple? What was his name? Eli. Very good, Samantha. Thank you. And so it was Eli. He was the priest. And the Eli, when he saw that um, Hannah was praying so hard, he didn't think she was praying. What did, she th what did he think about her? He thought she was what? She thought she was drunk. Very good, DJ. Yeah. She thought she, she was just praying, praying, praying. And thought, you know, and that sort of teaches us something, too, about our world. You know, our world doesn't always believe that prayer works. And sometimes, just like Eli, even though he was a priest, he thought Hannah was crazy to be praying like that. She was praying, but her, so she couldn't hear anything, but her mouth was moving. She really wanted something bad. And so God heard her, and God gave her a son. And what was the name of that son? What was the name? Samuel. Samuel. Very good. And so Samuel was born, all right? And Samuel became one of the judges. In fact, he was the last judge. And he had a special gift, and he was a prophet. So he was not only a judge, but he was also a prophet. And he was a leader of the people. And as he was leading the people, the people got very unhappy. And they didn't want a prophet leading them anymore. They didn't want somebody like Samuel, a judge, leading them. They wanted something else. What did they want? What did they want instead of a prophet to lead them? A king. They wanted a king. Very good. And so they thought that if they could have a king, they would be just like everybody else in the world, and they would have a better nation. But the king that they had, what was his name? Saul, King Saul. And what did King Saul do that was wrong? Well, what did he do that was wrong? There. What? He tried to kill? I can't hear. Oh, he's a chapter ahead. Yeah, he tried to kill David. Okay, that's the next chapter. Good job. Okay, what he wanted... What he did was, did you have the answer, DJ? What did he do? Very good. Excellent. He made a sacrifice without permission. Very good. And so this story that we're learning about today is about that God gave the people of Israel a king, but God wanted to be their king. And when the people got a king, that God said, okay, if you want a king, you'll get a king. It didn't work out for them because God wants to be our king. And so today, children, as you go off to your Promised Land Sunday School classes, you're going to be learning about how important it is for us to learn what it means to have God as our king. And so that's also what we're going to learn here in the adult service. But I'm going to dismiss the children now so they can go off to their Promised Land classes. We'll start with pre-K and K, uh, who is our... I'll go back there with uh, pre-K-K with Mark. Oh, no. 
Pre-K-K with Auntie Susie. Okay, Pre-K-K, go off in that direction. Pre-K and K off there towards the exit sign. Okay. First and second grade. First and second grade back there with Uncle Mark, Auntie Melanie. First and second grade in that direction. Okay. Third grade. Third grade and Uncle Eric in the back. Third grade. And then fourth and fifth grade. Fourth and fifth grade, Auntie Sammy. All right. Well, we're so glad that you're here. Um, hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And hope that as we continue in the story, you'll get the big picture of what God is doing. The story is a wonderful resource for us. It's not the Bible in the sense that it's not the whole Bible. But as we said, it's a condensed version of the Bible. And it's in chronological order. And we are in chapter 10 of 31 chapters of the story. And so we're about halfway through the Old Testament, and we're up to the time, as we said, of the judges. And the video that you just saw is online. It's, you can see it yourself. And some people have asked. Um, they want to see it. You can show it to your children at home. You can watch all the videos in case you don't want to read, and you can just catch up that way. So I want to show you how you can do that. Um, so the, the first slide here, if you want to go onto the Internet, um, you just go to the, uh, the story.com and not .org. Uh, there is a .org one, and it's different, but you want to go to .com. So you go to their homepage, and then at the very bottom, right down here, you click on Resource Library. Okay, after you click on Resource Library, uh, the next slide, it'll let you uh, log in. And so you want to put in the username is Harvest Irvine. Okay, so when we bought into the story through Zondervan, when we paid to use the story and are using all of their books and stuff, we have access to this as a church. So we use our church name, Harvest Irvine, and the password is HCC2013. Okay, so if you go in there, then after you click that, um, it'll take you to the next page. And on the left-hand side, over here, you'll see Youth Ministries. So all the videos are under the Youth Ministries portion. And so you click that, and then the next page, it'll take you to the videos. And so then you can um, open up. And so we just did Chapter 10 right there, Standing Tall, Falling Hard. And uh, there also are these rewind videos at the bottom. So that one actually takes you through large numbers of chapters. So like next week, we'll see all of the chapters 1 through 10, uh, 1 through 11 in a short video. But if you wanted to see today's video, uh, you, could see, you could see chapter 10 right there or any of the other ones that you want all the way up to 31. And so the weekly videos are there for you. And you can enjoy them and use them at home to help teach your children and also to help teach yourself. So you remember the big part of the story. And this is what we're learning about today. Today we're looking at the really big part of what God wants. In fact, today we could say sort of encapsulates the whole of the whole Old Testament. See, God's building a nation. And this is what we're looking at in chapters 1 through 11. God has a world that he wants to save. There's a world that he cares about, a world that he loves. And he wants the whole world to come under his leadership so that he can lead them and bless them. And God wants to be their king. God wants to be the king of every person in this world. He wants to be my king, and he wants to be your king. But there are a lot of pressures in our world. 
And these pressures cause us to not want God to be our king. There's so many distractions. There's so many other competing kings in our world, other competing forces for our attention. But God says, I want to be your king. And yet the world says, no, you know, why don't you do things this way? Why don't you do things in this sort of direction so that you can have a really good life? And so we end up looking into the world, trying to find out our way in the world, and we tend to want to be just like everyone else. And that's a very normal and common problem. Um, as our children grow up, we call it peer pressure, right? So we all know what peer pressure is. is You see your friends have something, and then you want it. It doesn't really matter if it's good or bad. If your friends have it, you want it. As adults, we look at it this way. It's sort of what we say was, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. And that's another way of saying that I want to fit into this world. I want to have what everybody else has. You know, because somebody else has something, I want something. And so we tend to want to be our own king in this world. Or we let other people tell us what to do. And God says, no, I want you to be unique. I want you to be different. Um, I saw this saying once, and I really liked it. And uh, it's sort of humorous. It's on T-shirts or it's on bumper stickers. And it says, um, you are unique just like everybody else. You are unique, just like everybody else. And I like the paradox of that, because it's true, okay? You are unique, but you are not really just like everybody else, other than that fact. In fact, to be unique, you must be different. To be unique, you must be different. And God wants us to be unique in this world. And to be a person who walks under his kingship means we will be different. And so today, as we look into the whole of 1 Samuel, we're going from 1 Samuel chapter 1 to the end, so that we see this story of Hannah. And we're going to see the story of Eli, and of Hannah's son Samuel, and then of King Saul and the Israelites. We're going to see how God uses them as an example to us of how we can be unique, of how we can be different of how we, though we face the problems and the trials of this world, where we do naturally want to have what other people have, we can have what God wants us to have. And a lot of times we'll find out that we do get what we want in that anyway. In fact, we get more than what we want. We get what God wants, and we find fulfillment in that. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word in this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you give to us through your word. We thank you for the children that were just here. And we pray for them and for ourselves that as we, we go through the story, as we go through your word, that we would learn the big picture, the upper story of your love for us. So that as we live in our world, in this lower story, we will know how to live in a way that, that pleases you in a way that helps us, Lord, to, to not be like the Joneses, to not have to keep up and have something just because everybody else does, to not be one who falls under peer pressure and satis is satisfied with something less than what is best. Lord, help us to, to want more. Help us to learn how to do this. And help us to learn, Lord, even from our deepest desires and our greatest anguish, how you help us to stand up for you how you help us to stand tall, how you help us to be unique, how you help us to be different. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. We all want what other people have. I remember back when I was just graduating from college that um, I didn't really know what I was going to do when I graduated from college, whereas my best friends, they knew what they wanted to do. Uh, One wanted to be a pharmacist. One wanted to be a school teacher. One wanted to be an accountant. And they all became those things. And they got their jobs, and they started buying stuff, buying new cars and new stereos. And I still didn't know where I was going. I was still trying to figure out my way. I didn't have a full-time job. I didn't have a career. And I saw my friends having all this neat stuff. And, and I was really envious. And I wanted what they had. I know that each of us goes through things like that. And times like that. Where other people have what we want. And, and we want it so much too. Now in my situation, it didn't create a great deal of anguish. It just created a great deal of covetedness. I really wanted what they had. But there are times in our lives where we really want something really, really bad because other people have it. And it's not a bad desire. We want something that we feel is really good. And in in fact, it can be good. And that's what we read about here in the story. As we read about the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel, she wanted something. She wanted to be like other wives in her world. She just wanted to have a baby. She wanted to have a child. And she wanted that so much. Now, in those days, you could have multiple wives. And so her husband had at least two wives. And one wife had children, but Hannah didn't. And because of the jealousy that you can imagine that happens when you have multiple wives and fighting for their husband's attention, the wife who had children would provoke Hannah and tease her and make fun of her because she didn't have a baby. And she would say to Hannah things that would make her weep and make her cry. And so we read in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, we read about Hannah, and we read about how she learned how to be different, how to be unique, how to stand out for God. And she learned how she could stand tall in the midst of difficult circumstances. When she wanted something that everyone else wanted, when she had a desire for something that was good, she teaches us how we can be different. And the first thing that she teaches us is this, that we can stand still. And we can stand still through prevailing prayer. Now, the word prevailing means to be predominant. And we hear that word when we think about the weather report. When you think about the weather and the winds that are going around, and sometimes they go, the prevailing winds are bringing a storm our way. And the word prevailing means to dominate or to be supreme. And so the prevailing winds are dominating. They're blowing the storm our way. Well, we're living in stormy times in our lives. And there can be a prevailing prayer that is more powerful than the storms in our lives. And so Hannah's going to teach us how we can stand still when we really, really want something. We really want what other people have. When we have a great desire, what do we do? We can stop and we can pray. And so we read this in 1 Samuel, beginning on chapter 1, verse 10. And Hannah, in deep anguish, she prayed to the Lord, and she was weeping bitterly, and she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, If you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life 
and no razor will ever be used on his head. Hannah's making a promise here to God. And she's saying to God, God, if you will give me what I want, I will give it to you. And there, I think, is a way of prayer for us. It's not a magic prayer, all right? This isn't like a hocus pocus thing. If you say this, you're absolutely going to get it. But it is something that's teaching us about what our hearts are to be like when we pray. So if you think about something right now that you really, really, really want, what is it? What is it that's deep in your heart? What is the desire of your heart that you long for? And what's something that you would be able to say, God, Lord, if you give me blank, what is it? What do you want? And then we say, Lord, if you give me this, then I will give it back to you for all the days of my life. Because that's what Hannah did. She said, God, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. And she made a vow. And she said, no razor will ever touch his head. And what that meant was that he was going to become a priest. He would be someone that God, he would, she would give over to God so that in his vow he would be dedicated to the Lord to be a priest. And that no razor would ever cut his head was the sign of that vow. And so she wanted something so bad. She said, Lord, I just want to be able to hold him I want to be able to know that I have him. And once I know and I hear and I experience the answer to this prayer, I will give him back to you. Now, can you do that? Can I do that? But this is what God is asking of us. It says that there are times in our lives where we want what everybody else wants. But if we really had it, could we give it back to God? And what that means is, could we give it back to God so that he can use it for himself? Can we give it back to God so that what he does with it is something better than just we having it for ourselves? Now, Hannah did that, and she got her son, and she got what she wanted, and then she was able to praise God. And so what she learned in this was a deeper faith with God, a deeper relationship with God. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, the next chapter, verse 1, the Bible says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. It's like when you know that you have what God wants you to have, you don't need anything else. That God fulfills your desire. Now, it's not Samuel that fulfills her greatest desire. It's God who fulfills her greatest desire. God's given her Samuel. She's given Samuel back to the Lord, but her heart is full. And this is what can happen in our lives, because if it doesn't happen in this way, we just want more. So if we got Samuel, we would want Samuel number two. But if we give up Samuel to God, then you read in the story that God blessed her with five more children. And she gave up Samuel to the Lord, and she got the Lord. And this is what we need. This is what we want more than anything else in our lives. Is that when we need to stand out for God, we can have a prayer that takes what we want so much that we will be uniquely different than other people in that we get what we want, but we give it back to the Lord. And then when we give to the Lord, the Lord gives us back more than we could ever deserve, more than what we could ever want, more than what we could ever even ask for. I don't know if she ever dreamed that she would even have another son, let alone five more children. But God gave it to her because she trusted in him, because she was willing to be different. 
And so Samuel went and was given over to Eli. Eli, as we talked with the children, was the priest of the day. And so when God had given to Hannah Samuel, after Samuel was weaned, she took him and gave him to Eli to raise him, sort of like a foster father inside the temple. And so Eli knew that this was a very special baby. And so he raised Samuel like he might raise his own son. And we learn something from Eli, and sadly, we also learn it from Samuel. Now, Hannah was a good example. And we can always learn from good examples, and we should, but everybody can be an example, all right, to other people. In fact, all of you are an example to other people. Either you're a good example of what to do, or you're a bad example of what not to do, all right? So all of us are an example all the time. And so, unfortunately here, though Eli and Samuel have many great traits, in this story, they become also bad examples of what not to do, of what we ought to learn from them and not do what they did, so that we can stand for God, and that we would be able to stand up and stand tall and be able to stand out, so that God would be able to use our lives to bless our world, to change our world. And so we see here that God wants us to stand for him by serving God with our family. Now, Samuel and Eli lived together in the temple. Eli was like his father. But Eli did not raise his own sons in the way of the Lord. We read this in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now, Samuel was a child, and he was growing up, and he's probably about the age of 12. And if you read the story, there's a portion there that talks about Samuel where he's sleeping, and he's sleeping in the temple. And in the middle of the night, there's a voice, and the voice says, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel wakes up, all right? And he thinks it's Eli calling him. And so he goes over, and he runs over to Eli, and he goes, here I am, you called for me. And and Eli goes, I didn't call for you. Go back to sleep. You're just having a dream. And so Samuel goes, okay, I guess he's having a dream. So this 12-year-old boy goes back to his bed, and he lies down, and he's sleeping, and all of a sudden he hears the voice again. He goes, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel runs back, and he goes and meets with Eli. And Eli goes, it's not, it's not me. I'm not calling you. Go back to sleep. And he goes back to sleep. One more time, he goes, Samuel, Samuel. And he runs back, and he goes, you called me, Eli. And Eli goes, oh, okay, I get it. It's not me. God is calling you. God is speaking to you, Samuel. So the next time that you hear God say, Samuel, you just say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so Samuel goes back to his room. Sure enough, God says, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel says, speak, Lord for your servant is listening. And 12 years old, and God speaks to him. And God gives him this amazing message. And it's not an easy message, and it's not a happy message. Just think about that. 12 years old, and God says, Samuel, I want you to go and tell your foster father. I want you to go and tell Eli. I want you to go tell the priest. I want you to go to tell this man of God that he's blown it. Right? that his sons don't walk in the ways of the Lord. And so we read this in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13. And these are the words that God is telling to Samuel. 
All right? And then Samuel's going to have to say to Eli, For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. He failed to restrain them. And so Samuel is learning a lesson in two ways. First of all, he's learning a lesson from God's voice that says, Samuel, you got to tell Eli, your mentor, that he's blown it, that he didn't raise his children in the ways of the Lord, and therefore he is going to be dismissed, and his sons are not going to be able to be in the line of the judges, but you will be. And then what happens is that Eli's sons die in battle. Eli's sons die in battle, and indeed Samuel grows up, and Samuel becomes the priest. Samuel becomes the judge of all of Israel. But unfortunately, Samuel didn't learn the lesson that Eli should have learned. And maybe it's because Eli didn't do it, and so Samuel didn't see it. And this is such an important lesson to us, is that if we're going to make a difference in this world, we have to realize that our lives are an example to other people. As parents, it's so important that we know our lives are, first of all, an example to our children. Is that they're going to become what they see in us. And we are going to have to be accountable to God for our example to them. And so Eli had been a bad example to Samuel because he hadn't raised his own sons in the way of the Lord. And he'd been rejected as, a, as the line in which the priest would come. So now Samuel would be the new priest. But Samuel didn't learn the lesson well. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel had grown old. Samuel had become an old man now in, first chap- in chapter 8. And the Bible says when Samuel grew old, he appointed his own sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his first friend was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, accepting bribes and perverting justice. And so we see here too in the same sad example of Samuel that he served God, but he didn't serve his family well. And this is the lesson that God wants for us, that we have to stand for God in this world by not just serving God, but by serving God with our families. So it wasn't one or the other. It was both together. It wasn't that we just served God and we leave our families alone, which is what Eli and Samuel did, where they didn't raise their families. And it's certainly not where we put all of our energy into our families, but not teach them in the ways of the Lord. But it's both of them together. It's raising our families in a way that they love the Lord and that they love God and that they serve God. But Eli and Samuel didn't do this. And their bad example is an example to us of what we ought to do. Because if we don't do what God wants us to do, there'll be consequences to pay. And so we read the consequences after this. And in verse 4 of 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Bible says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. And so here we see the sad result of what happens, is that because Samuel didn't raise his own sons to be those who walk with the Lord, the people didn't want his sons to be their leader after Samuel died. And instead they decided that we wanted to have a king, and that they wanted to have a king that would be just like other nations. 
And so here we see this effect of how these people were seeking to be just like others. They wanted to be just like the other nations because Samuel failed to raise sons who would love the Lord. And this is a sad example to us. We need to raise godly leaders. We need to raise a godly family here at Harvest. We need to raise families who love the Lord. And that's why the story is such a blessing to us, to be able to teach us how to read so that we have the same reading books that we can read to our children. The same stories are being taught in Promised Land in our Sunday school. The same stories being taught in the park and with our youth ministry so that we continue to learn the ways of God. In this world where there's so many temptations, in this world where there's so many distractions, God wants us to be able to follow after him. So we raise godly families is a way of standing out for God. But thirdly, we want to be the way God calls us to be. We want to stand out by being people who obey him, people who fully follow after God and obey him as our king. God wants to be our king. In 1 Samuel 8, verse 6, the Bible says, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, and so this is just right after this, And so Samuel has stood before the people, he stood before the elders, and the elder says, we reject your sons to be our leader. We want a king. And so it says, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. God wants to be our king because he is our king. Have you ever been rejected? Maybe like you liked somebody and you reached out to them and they didn't reach back and so you were rejected. Or maybe you wanted a job and other people applied and you thought you were really well qualified, but you were rejected. There's many situations in our lives where we have all faced rejection. Think about how does it make you feel? God has feelings. And God says here, you know what, Samuel? These people aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting me. How do you think God felt? After all he had done for all his people, after all he had done for the Israelites, and they still reject him. He'd led them out of Egypt. He had given them protection. He had given them victory. He was bringing them into the promised land. He was giving them good leaders, and they still rejected him. The people didn't want what God would offer. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 19, the Bible says, But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. They had learned something that they shouldn't have. And they had misplaced security. They thought their security was in this world. They thought, well, if we have a king, then this king will lead us into battle and we'll be safe. We'll have what everybody else has. If we follow after the ways of this world, then we'll be safe. Then we'll be okay. But God was saying, no, the way to be okay and the way to be safe is to be obedient to me, to obey me. But if you don't want to obey me, then okay. I will give you a king. But I will still require of your king the same thing I require of you. And that is that though you have a king and though you rejected me, I'm not going to reject you. How many times when you've been rejected have you said, all right, 
you're going to be that way to me, then I'll be that way to you. If you don't like me, I don't like you. You won't be my friend. I won't be your friend. All right? You are to be to me just the way I am to you. Forget you. Now, that's what we might expect God to do, right? Like, God has been rejected. But God won't reject his people. If they want a king, okay, you'll get a king. You're going to have to pay the consequences. But I still love you. And I'm still going to give you a chance. And so God says through Samuel in 1 Samuel 12, verse 14, if you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if you obey and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord, your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. God wants us to obey him. He doesn't want us to fear people. He doesn't want us to fear our circumstances. But he wants us to have this fear of him that leads to obeying him, like a good father. I fear my father as I grew up. He was a good father. I fear displeasing him. It's that kind of fear that God wants us to have for him. To want to obey him because we want to do what's right. God wants us to show our love to him through obedience. God wants us to show our love to him by doing what he asks us to do. There's a real popular uh, book on marriage and relationships uh, written by a man named Gary Chapman. And the book is called The Five Love Languages. The Five Love Languages. And it's a real popular book. It's a very good book. And it talks about how all of us have a certain way that we receive love and a certain way that we give love. And those are our love languages. So, for example, um, your words of affection. Some people feel loved when they get words of affection. Others are through acts of service. People feel loved when you serve them. Others are receiving gifts and giving gifts. That's how they feel loved. Others just want time together. And that's how you feel loved, and that's how you give love. And for others, just physical touch. And so Dr. Chapman talks about all these love languages, these five, that predominate and that each one of us have. Well, God has a love language. What do you think his love language is? It's not one of those five. It's obedience. God's love language is obedience. When we obey God, he feels loved. I mean, isn't that true as a parent? Don't you feel loved when your children obey you? And, and God wants us to know that when we love him, we will obey him. Jesus said this. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Obedience with God is being at home with God. It's being comfortable with God. You know, it's just like when you disobey your parents, you're not really comfortable at home, right? You're afraid you're going to get caught, or if you're caught, you're afraid of the punishment that's going to come. But when you obey God, you don't have to be afraid. You can be comfortable with him. You'll be at home with him. And then Jesus says, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. We abide. We remain. We are close when we obey. And this is what Jesus is teaching us. And this is what God was teaching the Israelites. 
that they could stand out by obeying God. That would be something very different in the world that they could do to bless the world, to be a blessing to other people, to serve God and to love him. And so Samuel reminds them, even though they have rejected God as their king, even though God was hurt that they were rejected, God was not going to reject them. And God won't reject us. And this is a message that God gives to us at a time where we may feel that we may not be close to God, he will draw us near. We may feel that we are close to God and we can rejoice because this is exactly what he wants. And so Samuel fulfills his message to the people at the end of his life by saying this in 1 Samuel 12, verse 22. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Consider what great things he has done for you. Here we are on Thanksgiving weekend. And we should be considering what great things God's done for us. I know all of us have many problems, and some of us many more than others. But no matter how great our problems, we still have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be grateful for. And so God says, I want you to remember all the great things he has done for you. And I want you to live in a unique way. I want you to stand tall for me. And he reminds the people here, actually, the same three things that we've learned. The first one about Hannah is that there's something that you really, really want, stand still. Stand still. And and, um, Samuel said it this way to his people, As for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And so one way that we stand out in this world is by standing still and praying for other people. Praying that they will stand strong for God. Praying that we will stand strong for God. Praying that we'll be a good example to other people. Praying for strength to do what God wants us to do while we are waiting. Secondly, we also see that Samuel says, you know what, I'm going to teach you the ways of God. He had failed to teach that to his own sons, but he was going to be successful in teaching it to the people at the end of his life. And this is what we would do. We would say, God, I want to teach your children. I want to teach the next generation. I want to teach them what is good, and I want to teach them what is right. I want to teach them how they can distinguish between what the world teaches and being just like them and being like you and standing out and being stronger, standing out and being better, standing out and being the best that God has made us to be by teaching them what is good and right. And thirdly, God teaches us how we can be the people who stand out is by obeying him as our king and by fearing him and serving him faithfully with our heart because of all the great things that he has done for us. And so this day, as we stand here before God and we think about what God has for our lives, let it be in our hearts a desire to stand out for him in the way that we pray Let it be in the way that we live our lives with our family and our church family. And let it be with our own lives in places where there's temptation, but to still choose to be obedient. In ways that there are distractions, but putting God first in our life. This leads us so that God will be our king and that he will reign in our hearts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to take this important story that you've given to us today. Just remember, Lord, that you want to be 
And you are our King. Help us, Lord, to stand strong in your presence, to know your love for us, to be like Hannah, who prayed when there was something she really, really wanted, and she knew only you could give it, and then she gave it back to you for your use. Help us, Lord, to be unlike Samuel and Eli in that way that they failed, but help us to be successful in teaching our children the ways that are good and right, investing in their lives in this generation. And help us, Lord, to be what you wanted of your Israelite people, to obey, to follow, to be faithful, to do what you ask, to know that obedience is the best way to live and brings rewards in this life and beyond. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. Help us to be what you made us to be. Help us to stand tall for you. In Jesus' name, amen.